<laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Alex Shaw here with your Risk uh, Performance Podcast sitting next to Jimbo Redman. How you doing, and, Alex? Uh, I'm, I'm doing very well. And, and uh, Mike, Fat, Mike Fitz. It's Patrick. easy for you to say. <laughs> From Environmental Air, how are you, Mike? I am well. It's good to see you again, Alex. Good to see you, Jimbo. Absolutely. Likewise. I think um, we'd last connected. Uh, you were kind enough to uh, have me down to spend a couple days with you um, maybe two, three years ago and, and really take a deep dive in, into seeing how you guys had built out a few programs that we'd, we'd helped develop over the years. But um, So that's a little bit of the, the hope for the content of the conversation today. But before we do that, maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit bit about your role at, Envi at Environmental Air and uh, how long you've been there and what kind of work you guys do. Sure. Um, EAS is a uh, large mechanical contractor, and we're also a custom mechanical equipment manufacturer. And that's the side of the company I work on. I work on the manufacturing side. Uh, I've been with EAS for 12 years now when manufacturing was one facility and 65 employees. And now we are four facilities and 300-plus employees across manufacturing, and that doesn't include the mechanical, you know, the construction side of the company. So we have grown significantly, you know, during the 12 years I've been with the company. Yeah. So what role did you, were you initially in when you started at, at uh, Environmental Air? I came in to do safety training, HR as a Spanish speaker, and we have Spanish-speaking employees at that point in time and, and had never had anyone filling that role on the manufacturing side. So that's how I came in, was an HR and trainer uh, for, for safety. And, and as I was on the phone with a, a guy I work with, another client, and um, he's in the HR and safety role, and he's, we were laughing about what his card should say and what it really says. You know, it just says risk director and HR, but that doesn't really hold a candle to the <laughs> to all of his responsibilities and, and the things that have been heaped on his on his uh, on his plate over the years. I think he's been there for twelve years as well. So over time well, that yeah, happens. you know, as as HR and safety, I do everything no one else wants to do. That's <laughs> my job, right? It is very much job security, which is so very what good. what was the proximity of uh, EAS's manufacturing to obtain the sharp designation or star designation relative to when you came on board? I came on board right after the SHARP presentation and getting the SHARP uh, designation in 2005, right? So I started in January 2006, and uh, the company, the manufacturing side had a very bad uh, 2006 <laughs> after uh, qualifying for SHARP, right? We had a very bad 2006. There were 16 recordable injuries that year, I believe, on the manufacturing side. And I was looking at it thinking, we have got to be doing something wrong. <laughs> got to be doing something wrong and, and really asked for increased responsibility at that point. Yeah, so what, what are some of the things you would chalk up the, the relatively poor performance uh, to as pertains to the, the Sharps program you guys were involved in, or was it, was it otherwise? Well, what, what I saw, because I really wasn't part of the whole sharp buildup, what I saw more than anything was a very top-down, authoritative view of safety, a lot of don't get caught doing this, don't get caught doing that kind of attitude, a, a discipline and punishment uh, consequence right, for behaviors, and uh, it was not working. <laughs> it was not working at all. 
Yeah. So, and 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 I, I suppose if you started in 2006, it took a little bit of time to get your feet under you. What are some of the ways that you learned the business you were in, learned about the people, the industry, and and the work being done, so that you could, you know, over the over the subsequent years, really affect the change that you had the vision for? Well, I think nothing makes you learn something more than having to stand in front of others and talk about it and teach it, you know, and, and having that, that level of responsibility for representing our programs and championing them, right, is what drove me to really try to learn some things. I tried to look at what are we doing wrong in safety about a year after I started and, and looking at what can we do to it to affect change. And I ran into the Best Bets program with Scott and started looking at that and say, this is a good option to involve our employees in the beginning. And that ultimately uh, evolved into a very comprehensive safety behavior observation and measurement and feedback program that we have that we call EAS Essentials. And so, Jimbo, if you don't mind highlighting, you know, you were, you and Ed Bonkemeyer were were uh, two of the folks championing the, the Best Bets program that, that we use at Scott with, with various clients. So would you mind sharing some of the history of that and some of the philosophy behind that, um, its development and implementation? Well, I think quite to the contrary of what Mike mentioned about sort of a top-down authoritative sort of approach to things, um, more and more our experience with companies was that um, companies that went that route and even sort of some of these um, SHARP program initiatives were very sort of top-down, bureaucratic, organizational, um, you know, do all these things, check all these boxes that, that management sort of oversees. And we just saw that, you know, that didn't really resonate out in the real world with what people did on a daily basis. And so we, we wanted to really get to a higher level of let's engage the employees, let's use them as the experts doing the job, draw from their experiences and figure out, you know, tap into their knowledge. And so um, I think one of the things Mike can kind of speak to a little bit is, is you got to have the right sort of management support and leadership to go along with that. And so I think we were just at a point, and I know – um, in the High Point facility for EAS, they were sort of raised their hands like, you know, we, we jumped through all these hoops to meet these qualifications to get this SHARP designation, and we're worse off, not better off. And so we, we need to start looking at a different way to go about this. And so I think it was, it was a good timing for them um, and, and for us to kind of say, hey, let, let's experiment with some different ideas and, and best bets was kind of how we branded it. And they, they just grabbed it and ran with it on their own. Um, and that's Mike might want to talk a little bit about that and just the, maybe a little bit about the, the structure in terms of the management and ownership and how they bought into that and supported you and helped you. And well, plant management at the time, um, allowed me to grow into what I was doing. You know, this didn't just start out being perfect, right? We gathered our employees together, tried to come up with what were the most important parts of safety in a variety of different areas. We ended up with 12 different categories, ultimately, of safety that we're measuring. 
And uh, it took some time. Management was very supportive in that we weren't laying out money. You know, we weren't writing a check, okay, for right. somebody to come in and do something for us, right? You know, we were developing this from a grassroots, from an employee involvement perspective, right? And uh, so management's commitment was really one of time and support, right, Have, as opposed to making a large financial commitment to a new program. And you mentioned the you mentioned twelve buckets or twelve mm-hmm. areas where you guys really built out. What are some of those, and and what was your process for uh, developing those buckets? And and well, uh, first we looked at where are we having incidents, where are we having problems, and some of those are obvious. You know, we have essentials for uh, personal protective equipment. We have essentials for hand tool safety. You know, we have attention uh, essentials for ladder use. Okay, so some of the very frequent hazards that we run into. And then others we developed simply because of the severe potential of a failure in that area, say compressed gas cylinder handling, for instance. Not something we had a huge problem with, right? But if you have a problem with a compressed gas cylinder, it's going to be a serious problem. It's going to affect a lot of people. And one thing that was different for us maybe is we made sure that every essential had to do with overall shop safety. You know, it, it wasn't just one guy at one machine being observed, you know, in, in one place, right? It's overall shop safety is affected by each category. And so maybe it'd be helpful for the listeners if we step back for a second and, and describe what best bets or, or um, the essentials are. And Mike, you might be uh, pretty good at describing this, but I'll, I'll give it a, a wing here. Um, Part of it is, as you say, identifying where some of your highest areas of risk are, and then the the methodology is to gather the people most closely associated or or well-versed in the risk and to charge them with coming up with a a way to do the task that we're discussing. It's not a list of don't do's and, um, and negatives. It's a, hey, here's the expectation, here's the standard for EAS on uh, how we use ladders. Um, and typically what that looks like is, a, is a, a checklist of essentially 10, no more than 10, 12 bullets uh, for how you set up and do this, uh, do this task. And if you're watching and you're walking around the, uh, the, um, the area, then you can observe people and you can see as they're doing these tasks um, collectively, not just one individual person, but you can see if they're following the steps. And based off of that, I know you've toyed with the scores a little bit, but let's just say we've got 10 bullets, and then that's 10 points, and a score of 100 means, hey, you did all of them 100%, you know, you did you did this 100% to the expectation and standard that we've got. Um, is that is that essentially how you guys built out your uh, your program? Yeah, that that's a great way to sum it up. Um, as I mentioned, 12 different categories of safety. We're doing an observation or a measurement at each facility in each category every week. All right, so there's 12 of them. Um, a couple of things just to add on to what you, what you said. When we assign a measurement, it goes to one of our senior hourly employees. It's not a safety guy or a management or anything like that. And he is charged to take a new guy with him, maybe somebody he's mentoring or another new guy in the facility. And they will go and do a 15-minute more or less right measurement of behavior that they can see in that category. That's been a uh, really important part of building our culture, right? That uh, experienced employee is exposing that new employee to measurement, right? It's a, it's an opportunity to give him an in-depth understanding of knowledge in that area, right? 
these new guys are pumped up by it, right? Here he is, first week, he's out there, you know, observing and measuring behavior of other employees. It's a tremendous culture-building activity for us. Uh, We did 1,577 measurements in manufacturing alone, right? Over 1,600 on the construction side this year. How many employee interactions is that? On the manufacturing side, that's over 3,000 times an employee's been involved in in measuring and being engaged in safety culture. So you tossed out some pretty impressive measurement numbers Mm -hmm. the time. I mean, your process is obviously working very well, and it's it's well-oiled. You've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. One of the sort of um, points that we see a lot of people sort of get off the bus with this is they go through the, the, the they get the energy to sort of create the best bet or essential, um, but but then they don't stay with it and they they don't really ever measure it, and so talk to us a little bit about the role measurement has played, what you've learned from that, um, how you compile that, um, and anything you've learned just from incorporating a, a real measurement. Obviously, one measure is just how many you're doing, but y'all have taken it to even further level than that. Yeah, we have. Uh, originally, when we started the program in 2007, we had a very simple scoring system. You started with 100 points, and kind of each violation was one point, right? And you, uh, 92 was a terrible score. Right, that was eight violations. Okay, and you tell somebody they got a ninety-two, they're feeling pretty good about it, you know. Right, right. And so we're really trying. <laughs> I know I would. Yeah. <laughs> so we're really trying to measure safety excellence. So, so we went back in two thousand fourteen and changed the way that we score things. So now, if we have ten categories, like most of them do, the first infraction in a category is ten points. Let's say one guy's not wearing his earplugs, ten points. Next guy wearing his earplugs is one point. So there's 11 in that category, right? Mm -hmm. Another category is gloves, right? First guy, 10 points. Second guy, one additional point, okay? So now our scores look a lot more like a high school score, you know, and on a test, right? right? If you have three people screw something up, now you're down to a 70, right? And four or five people, now you're a failing score, you know? So so it starts looking a lot more realistic, okay? Gotcha. And another thing we did with that that's been very effective, we put this in place in 2014, is if we score below an 80 on an essential, right? We'll have a thing called an alert. And what that is, is... A it, big alarm? Yeah, big alarm. Well, pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. That score goes out to all of our safety guys and foremen, and they will stop everybody across all four facilities and talk about that essential score that we had that was low and what we missed and, and why, you know, why we need to uh, focus on that area, right? That's been very effective. Yeah, very and one effective. of the things you guys have done is, to my knowledge, it's you're not including... Th- these are done anonymously. And so when people turn these essentials in, their name isn't bulleted to it necessarily. Is that Yeah, it? I mean, we know who did the, the measurement, right? right? But it's not published in any way. It's not right. Jimbo did this measurement and found this. You know, that's not the way that works. And also anyone that might not be in compliance with whatever is on that essential, their name is never on it. Okay, this is a employee-run measurement program, and it is not disciplinary in any way or used to single employees out. Now, somebody might know where the points came from, you know, and we can't stop that necessarily, right? right? But we don't use it in any way, you know, to, to embarrass or draw attention to anyone in particular, right, or for any kind of disciplinary so action. have you guys seen any correlation between your essential scores that you're – I mean – 
you're compiling these on a monthly mm-hmm. monthly basis and and your incident trends oh yeah we can we can see a lot of things uh you know we looked at our numbers early on in the program and when scores were down incidents were more likely to occur and uh i think alex you may have seen some analysis of that in the past i you know, and I told you our scores were not, we, we were not very good when we went to the new scoring system, right? We had some really low scores. We had a lot of alerts, right? And when our scoring average was below 80 average, right, in a facility, we knew we were going to have recordables, and it happened exactly that way. You know, when, whenever scores dip below 80, we were very likely to have a recordable. Yeah, I, I, you've shared, and you've done a great job of documenting the correlation and, and the, the average scores that you've had during a month and then the pings of recordables and it's it's pretty telling and impressive because you can track when your scores are high you're free and clear from recordables and then as soon as it drops below that 80 you get you know pinged you get one recordable or two recordables or three um which you know you're you've done a great job of tracking that the the other thing you've seen is the success of the program through what your previous um, uh, you know, incident rate was to a few years afterwards, um, all the way down to a pretty, pretty substantially. Sure, you know, I, I can talk about injury reduction. You know, um, as I mentioned, we 2007 was just a, a, a very eye-opening year. You know, especially for the manufacturing side, and we have seen our incident rate go from. 12 to 10 to 8 to 7 to 6 and you know we leveled off for several years at uh, right around 3 and 4 right or 3.5 and we have seen further reduction now 2017 on the manufacturing side we were below 2 for the first time right at 1.81 for an OSHA incident rate the company right, has seen significant gains and we were finally able to implement EAS Essentials on the construction side of the company at the beginning of 2016, and uh, they've seen significant injury reduction. Uh, we only had three recordable injuries on the construction side in 2017. Their incident rate uh, on the construction side was 0.89, wow. which is just unheard of. And as a company, we were 1.09 for 2017. And we're talking uh, about how many employees uh, 700, in these 700 employees. This is, uh, you know, full-on construction in the field, right? Um, a very uh, hazard a rich environment in manufacturing, you know, we're a mini construction site, right, in, in, in each of our production bays and manufacturing. So uh, we do very dangerous work, mm-hmm. very dangerous work. And, and this type of program is necessary to if we're going to have further injury reduction. So talk about all of this a little bit. I mean, obviously, the cool things that I like about what you're saying is, you know, you've taken a, a concept about really employee engagement and measurement and improving odds um, and encapsulating those things into what y'all really played out as EAS essentials and branded it within the company so everybody knows. Talk about that relative to the cultural shift that you've seen in the organization over your 12 years Um, because obviously the, the results that you've gotten and the systems that you've put in place have been supported by a culture that that's, I would guess, pretty, pretty progressive relative to how risk is managed. And so just any comments you might have culturally would be interesting to hear. 
Well, I, I think there's two levels of that. You know, one is at the management level. I think things have transformed. You know, now um, safety is seen in a different light than it used to be from a management perspective, I believe. Uh, we are now trying to partner with the employee when it comes to safety, right, and get their buy-in on what we're doing, right? Management has come under pressure, right? We can't get a job if we have too many incidents, right? Right, And and so it's a business bottom line issue, right? It's a financial issue from a management perspective where they have decided that we're not going to have those costs, right? And and they're far reaching beyond just money, right? But uh, how uh, employee retention, right? Recruiting, that type of thing. Uh, your reputation in the marketplace. You know, we work very, very hard to protect our reputation. So from a management perspective, injury reduction, cost reduction, corporate reputation, uh, corporate culture, right? are where they're looking at it, right? right? From an employee perspective, it's entirely different. You know, if an employee has input into what the rules are, right, he knows the whys behind it, right? He's part of measuring whether or not we're complying, right? He's looking at those results with us and coming up with ways to make improvements. We are now measuring safety excellence, okay? 2014, for instance, our average essential scores across manufacturing were in the low 80s. Right. Um, in 2017, we were 96.5, I believe. Right. That is one less than one half of any one infraction per measurement. OK. That's less than one guy not wearing earplugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay? Less than one guy. Yeah. So y'all really turned up um, sort of the standard. As, as we've talked, you've talked about uh, we used to measure it this way now. Now we've we've tightened the screws a little bit on that, um, and so y'all are y'all are continuing to press this agenda, uh, this process, and recognizing that well, what's good enough yesterday is not good enough today, and won't be five years from now. And things change, and jobs change, and the equipment that we use is different, and the environments are different, and um, you know, staying with it is is hard. What what's what's kept you guys? at it well you know we are challenged by upper management every year right to substantiate why we're doing this and to make sure that it's bringing value to the company and if you just sit there stagnant on what you're doing right it does get old you know you don't have to change everything every month but every three or four years you know there has to be some significant improvement in what you're doing right? and uh if, if it has to happen tomorrow maybe it happens tomorrow you know it, it's uh, it, it gives us an opportunity, right, each and every year to try to improve on what we're doing. If management it, management challenged us again this year, how can you change essentials to make it more effective, to get more value out of that program, to get more engagement from employees? Right? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, one one thing we were talking about before we pressed record that I, I'm just continue to be impressed with is so many organizations start an initiative and, and Jimbo's um, already asked about stick, stick, stick with itness and, um, and we get these initiatives going and they work for a month. And then three months later we go, Hey, whatever happened to the, that program, is that still going on? And, and the floor kind of gets rocked a little bit when folks go, Oh no, after that was over, you know, everybody stopped participating in that initiative. And, um, and, and I think, Part of this, part of the challenge with safety is keeping it from getting stale and keeping it fresh, um, and sticking with it. And so you mentioned 
before we press record that you guys, you know, you bring employees in on a regular basis, whether it was monthly, I can't recall, but to review these essentials, to, to adjust them and, and to change them and to, to add or take away. And, and in that, you know, one thing that we really feel is important is you want people to take ownership, then you got to give them a, an equity stake in the decision-making process. And, and to me, that is a, a perfect example of how you keep things from getting stale. You keep people engaged. You keep this front and center so you don't find yourself three months down the road going, you know, is that still going on? You know, are the, are the essentials still working or what happened with that? Um, speak, speak a little bit to um, how you have managed that process of stick withness for reviewing essentials, how many changes are made and how frequently and um, and just the, the general philosophy in, in keeping people engaged on that? Well, from a nuts and bolts standpoint, we have a mentor team. This is a group of anywhere from 10 to 20 or more, depending on the facility, that when we have a new employee, they will be assigned that employee for 30 days. They'll do a written evaluation of that employee once a week. They actually wear that employee's picture on an armband on their arm. <laughs> okay, or excuse me, the, the employee wears a picture of his mentor wow. on his armband, so everybody knows who that guy belongs to, right? So we have that group of senior hourly <laughs> employees right, that are charged with mentorship, and uh, once a month at each facility, those mentors meet, right? Uh, we will talk about incidents that have occurred, the status of mentor mentees they're with. But one of the things that we do is we, we review an essential each month. So I'm getting ready to start that today at our Triad facility. We're going to review our fall protection essential tomorrow at our High Point facility. We'll review it again, right? Take that input and make any uh, modifications or adjustments that might be necessary. Now, these are the guys that are leading the people on the floor. They're the guys that are teaching the new people. They're the guys that are actually doing the measurements, right? And uh, so who better to have input on the content, right? You get a, such a level of buy-in. Everybody doing the measurement knows why the rule is what it is, knows the, you know, everything behind it, and it's easier for them to articulate, get behind it, support it, right? If the safety guy says do it, that means one thing, right? But if we sat in a room and said this is the way it should be, we're bought in. Very good. I I, uh, I have a quick uh, quick question that I'm bringing back from our time together from a couple of years ago. Um, you know, at that time you just implemented uh, or you'd had in play the housekeeping mm -hmm. essentials, and I know that was one of the more rigorous and one of the most impressive things about your facility is how clean and orderly and um, you know uh, uh, house I doesn't look like your bedroom. No. Out. <laughs> No, it doesn't look, I'd say my home. When you got a one and a three-year-old, you, you eventually yeah. you start giving up on trying to clean up every every 10 minutes because it ends up looking the same. But but there is kind of an interesting corollary there because there's, you know, you're managing a, hundreds of people and they want to put their, you know, their their shields one place and their jacket one place and there is there are cubbies and there is order and, and there's clear aisleways. And um, so maybe speak a little bit to how that specifically had changed because I know you had made that one a really difficult <laughs> Difficult essential, um, a high standard essential. Well, actually, when upper management asked me to put in a housekeeping essential when we met on it, in, and we did that in 2014, I was against it because I didn't believe that housekeeping was necessarily a individual employee behavior that could be measured, could be observed, right? And I didn't buy into it right away. We did make a very high standard, right, of, of, of what we expected. 
and it has been great for us. You know, we were clean before. Jimbo knows that. You know, we were clean and organized. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know there was a whole lot of room for upgrade. <laughs> yeah. but. but what we have seen is, again, you're measuring excellence. You know, and when you look at housekeeping from a risk prevention standpoint, it's different than from an organizational and how the floor looks standpoint, right? So exactly where you hang your face shield, your hard hat, you know, where everything is kept, how material is stored on the shelves. We're looking at that kind of stuff, you know, really trying to take a much different look at, at risk assessment when it comes to housekeeping. Uh, our scores have gone up tremendously. Right? When we get real busy in a facility, that's one of the first things we'll see is our housekeeping scores start going down. And, and I saw that in January. We had uh, several housekeeping alerts at one of our facilities, and we got on it a bit. And as the work sort of migrated to another facility, we saw the same thing. <laughs> we saw the housekeeping scores go down, right? We talked to, talked to the guys some, brought attention to it. Scores have come back up. It looks interesting on a graph because it goes, it's like a big X, you know? When, when business is up here, right, scores are down. When business is up over here, scores are down. Gives us a great opportunity to focus attention on it, right? Bring it to the guys' attention and uh, make some changes, right? Make some changes. Yeah, you know, I tried to implement that chart with my kids, but it didn't work. So <laughs> we just closed the door to the room. The, the question <laughs> is, did you did you charge them with the development of the uh, of the charter? Was that an authoritative? Uh, <laughs> top-down approach to managing. <laughs> yeah. Would this system apply? You know, Mike, you're, you've are you been a teacher in the past, and so that, that set of skills, and you, you're a coach, and that set of skills surely applies to, to this and um, to that end. Uh, I think one thing I noted when I spent time with you was, you know, even walking the floors, even with all these programs in place and the essentials and the success, you still are walking and you see a guy doing something that just wasn't in your liking and you stop and you talk to him about it. And it's just it seems to be a never ending process of coaching, revisiting the same topics again and again, but just sticking with the message. Um, is that is that a fair, fair comment? You know, it certainly is. But I don't get to make the decisions, you know, and, and I think that anything that we can do that brings the employees into the decision-making process that involves them in what we're doing is going to continue to uh, uh, get that engagement and buy-in from the employees. You know, uh, I brought, you brought up something very interesting earlier. You said, how do you sustain a program? How do you stay with it, right? And when it comes to essentials for us now, there's some questions we would ask. If we didn't have essentials, how would we establish the standards in safety in these areas? Right? Where would we go? What would be our reference? Right? If we didn't have the EAS essentials, how would we teach new employees what the rules are and what's important to us? Right? How would we disseminate educationally? Right. You know, If we didn't have EAS essentials, how would we know? How would we have any idea where our level of compliance is? How would we be able to uh, identify where we're seeing problems, you know, in, in terms of, of compliance with our guys. And it's not their behavior. Most of the time, you got to look back in the mirror if you're a manager and say, how can we do things differently, right? To teach, to educate, to motivate, you know, whatever it might be, right? Because the guy's making that decision for a reason, right? You know, he's sticking his finger in there for a reason, right? You got to find the reason why. And Essentials helps us get there. Yeah, well, I think we couldn't, uh, we couldn't. You always, you know, there's sometimes just sort of something profound comes out of the conversation, which I think you sort of captured beautifully there. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, we like to say what gets measured gets done. 
And, you know, when so many safety organizations um, or safety programs are built around just measuring the top of the pyramid and their accidents, they are really missing what's actually happening out there on a daily basis. And so when you can take something like essentials and make it the, the sort of hub of your wheel where, you know, all these different elements of training and measurement and uh, mentorship and um, evaluation come into play is just a powerful thing. Oh, and I think you, you hit on something. You mentioned several different categories. And to me, they all focus on employee engagement and not just at the top level, right? But the, the mentors are engaged, the, the new guys are engaged, right? Sometimes it, the, the guy between the mentor and the new guy, you know, how do you engage him? How do you bring him into the process? And that's a place where we struggle a little bit, you know, to, to find that recognition and those opportunities, you know, for those guys to participate. Uh, you know, one other thing I'll add to it, the, the programs feed on each other, you know. The last two years, especially 2017, we've emphasized a preventative near-miss program, uh, asking employees to report conditions prior to incidents happening, right? Well, a great source of preventative near-misses, right, is the essentials as they come back, right? So we're, it's just a... It's all just, connected. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a great opportunity for us, right? If a guy comes back and says, I saw somebody, I, I saw a, a drill up on top of a ladder, Right. That's a great opportunity for us to bring attention to that as a preventative near miss. If we see twenty of those, boy, we got a problem. We need to talk about. Right? Yeah, you know your 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 summary there a moment ago really, <laughs> it, it struck a chord of of fear in me for organizations who aren't doing this because when you consider all of the performance lapses, all of the opportunities, all of the things done right, but then all of the things that are out there lurking, you know, their latent conditions or behaviors that are just waiting for the right or wrong. Uh, time to spring up. If you're not measuring that, then those things are just dormant. And they're there right now, and they're waiting, and nobody's looking at them, and nobody's measuring them proactively in the way that you guys are. And at some point, all all those conditions and behaviors and, and factors come into play, and you get a top-of-the-pyramid incident. Um, and, and what I love about you all's program and philosophy is that it is truly a, a proactive uh, approach to measuring uh, your standard and your expectations, which is something I think many organizations could learn from um, because there there are a few observable things you can see, like are you wearing your safety glasses? Do you back into your parking spot? You, you pull into a company that everybody's backed in. You know pretty quickly what the standard is. <laughs> You're not going to pull forward because you don't want to be the thor sore thumb, but there are so many granular things along the way that they come up in each day um, that if we're not attentive to, we never even know about until the top of the pyramid collapses on us and, and we've got that incident. So thank you for, for summarizing it that pointedly because I think it's it, it, the, the notion of what would we be doing if we didn't have these is a, it's a little bit, frankly, a scary thought. Well, yes, and, and I think there's the, the good thing about essentials is, yeah, it addresses the high frequency, low severity exposures, right, to, to lack of use of PPE or, you know, poor position or posturing and using tools or whatever that might be. But it also addresses how you're backing up in that forklift, you know. And if you back over, up over somebody's legs, that's going to be a very high in the pyramid, right, right. <laughs> incident for you, right, a very, very high severity incident. So it gives you an opportunity to also address those 
high severity, low frequency types of things, you know, uh, fall protection. How often does somebody fall off of something, right, and, and suffer a fatality or a serious injury? It doesn't happen very often, right? But if you're focused on how you're doing that process each and every time you measure it every week, you're calling attention to failures that you see, right, then you're going to get more consistent behavior on those high severity low frequency scenarios that everybody just wants to avoid. You know, the other part of that is inspections. You know, you can get complacent on inspections and you run into those high severity, right, low frequency potential events. Perfectly said. Well, Mike, thank you for uh, thank you for being willing to come and like so many others and join Jimbo and I in a random hotel yeah. room <laughs> in a dark, <laughs> a dimly lit and, hotel room with um well, anyway, you know, so well, gracias. For, for me, I, I started my safety journeys. I had no background in safety, so I started my safety journey with Scott and EAS in 2006, right? So it's, it's come a long way. It's come a long way, <laughs> well, and I, I appreciate everything I've picked up from Scott over the years, so I'm happy to share anything I can. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to be here, and also, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a testament to, to you to come in sort of green and, and, and be willing and open to um, new ideas and, and maybe, frankly, a little di- bit different way of thinking about about safety. Um, so thank you. Well, and, you know, the one comment I'd like to make here when you address that, Jimbo, and I, I touched on it earlier, management, when I came on, allowed me to try to affect change. You know, they said, Mike, what can we do? And said, find something, you know, help us, right? And it was management's willingness to try some things that were different, try some things outside of the box, and allow them to play out, right? Play out over time that's led to the, the success that we've had, I believe. And, and uh, without, if, if management just wanted to stay inside the same box, you know, and, and, and not take some chances and, and look at things differently, none of that happens. Fair enough. Well, Jimbo, Mike, thank you guys so much, and I hope you guys out there enjoyed. I'm sure you did, and uh, we will catch up with you next time. Take care. Thank you, Alan.